Well, we had a bit of a mix-up with the recording equipment, so I'm afraid I'm going to have to uh, just give you the first few minutes of the message uh, on here, and then we will hopefully be able to seamlessly uh, transfer over to the recording uh, from today. So apologies for that. But we're in this series, and we are thinking about one of the values of the church, and the value is number seven on the list of the 11 values at Trinity Chippenham. And it says something like this. It says, we want to be a church that is equipping everyone to play their part in the church. And so last week we thought about the fact that we, we're not trying to uh, create a church environment where, you know, it's kind of arm twisting and lots of pressure uh, to do things you don't want to do. No, what, what we want is to, to really be a church where everybody is, is participating, doing the part that God's created them to do, because there's something incredibly satisfying about that to be part of something and to contribute what only you can give. And so actually there's a whole host of uh, factors in that. There's kind of age and maturity and experience and life circumstances and natural talents and education and training and learned skills. And there's a whole variety of things that go into making us, each one, a unique contributor to the life of the church. But the thing that we're focusing in on particularly is this subject of spiritual gifts. And we thought last week about the fact that when somebody responds to the gospel, they hear the good news of what Jesus has done, and they, they, they're they convinced by the Spirit maybe tapping them on the shoulder and stirring their hearts that they, they realise, yeah, this is for me. Jesus died for me. When he died, he paid the penalty for my sin. He's inviting me to be part of God's family. And so in that moment, there's a whole host of things that happen, things in heaven, ch- a change of status and so on, a, a change within us. The Spirit comes in and we're adopted into God's family. We're born into God's family. There's, there's a massive list of changes, some really glorious truths, but one of those things is that in the moment that we become a follower of Jesus we receive not just the spirit himself but also a spiritual gift a a tailor-made personalized um, ability uh, a prompting an inner uh, kind of nudge from the spirit a sort of a, a wiring so that we can do something and we can contribute something unique to the life of the church I suppose what that means is that there are uh, two two questions. First of all, are we in the family? And then secondly, what is our spiritual gift? Until you become a, a, a member of God's family, the spiritual gift is really not the focus. There are other things that are more important, i.e. learning who Jesus is, what he's done, and that, that he is the one who offers you life. That's the first and foremost thing. But once you become a follower of Jesus, then it's a perfectly legitimate question to say, OK, what has God made me to do in this church? What is the role? that is mine. And so we're thinking about spiritual gifts and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, last week we just looked at one verse, verse 7. Uh, This week we're going to look at the first 11 verses. Uh, Let me read those. It says this, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That's the first three verses. 
Paul was writing to these Christians in Corinth and he's saying to them, look, in the past, before you became uh, followers of Jesus, before you became part of God's family, you were mixed up in all of the idol worship and all the temple stuff that's going on around here. And in those temples, they'd have these idols that were just pieces of wood or pieces of stone, just mute idols. But there was something spiritual going on in those places. And so if you went to this temple, you might get caught up in this ecstatic utterance given by such and such a spirit. And if you went to that temple, then there would be a different kind of a special, uh, deeply moving thing that might happen to you. And Paul's saying, okay, don't bring that baggage into the church. Don't come in here thinking that, that if, it's, if it's profoundly moving and if it's really spectacular and if it's really impressive, if it's really inspiring, then that must be the Spirit of God. He's saying, no, 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 that's how you were led in the past, and I'm not going to get into that. But now, if you want to know that if the Spirit of God is at work amongst you, you don't judge that based on the level of inspiration that you feel in any given moment, you base it upon what comes out. What's the content? Because when the Spirit of God is at work, he has an agenda. He has a goal. And his goal in the local church is always to make much of Jesus, to to magnify and lift up Jesus. And so he's saying, look, don't get all worked up when something's really exciting and spectacular. If it isn't pointing to Jesus, he is the focus. He is the goal of the spirits working in your midst. The, the goal of the Holy Spirit is to work amongst us as believers to make much of Jesus. But then from verse four, he goes on to say, and the way that the Holy Spirit is going to achieve that goal is unique to each of you. He has a a particular plan and a particular way to make much of Jesus through you and through you and through me. We're, We're all treated individually. So listen as I read these next verses to see uh, the variety language, but also the same language. You'll see what I mean. It uses the, uh, the, the words variety and same very, very frequently here. Verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit varieties of service but the same lord there are varieties of activities but it is the same god who empowers them all in everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good for to one is given through the spirit and now he goes into a list of the gifts uh, utterance of wisdom utterance of knowledge and so on all according to the same spirit by the same spirit just scan your eyes down that list there and then he gets to the end and verse 11 says all of these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills and so there's a, a, a sequence of, of statements that he's making, but in contrast to the other gods and the other kind of weird stuff that goes on in the pagan temples, he's saying, look, there's not multiple different spirits giving multiple different experiences. In the church, there is the Holy Spirit. One spirit, and yet a variety of gifts. One Lord Jesus, who is the motivation and the focus and the the, the kind of the one that we lift up and honour as Lord, but a variety of ministries. One God the Father, who is empowering the work of the church, and yet multiple workings of gifts and ministries. So that in verse 7, where it says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, like we saw last week, that is the verse that says, look, there's a variety of things, each one's individual. 
we get to manifest that is to make known and to demonstrate that there's something different going on here and then we do that as we serve the church with the gifting that he's given to us it's it's not given for us it's not for our own benefit it's so that we can be a blessing to others and so that's kind of the flow of thought here he's saying look there's one holy spirit but multiple gifts one holy spirit multiple gifts in verse 11 we're going to come back to the list in verse 8 9 10 but verse 11 all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills so the spirit's the one that's in charge of this I think it was Danny in Life Group who mentioned the idea of harmony. And I thought, that's perfect. Yeah, this is describing harmony. I wonder if you've ever gone to hear a symphony orchestra. Maybe in the Royal Albert Hall, or perhaps in the Colston Hall, or maybe Neil Hall, or maybe in this school hall. But but maybe you've gone and you've paid your money and you've got your tickets and you've gone and you've sat down and then after a few minutes all the musicians have come out carrying their instruments, stringed instruments, brass instruments, woodwind instruments, all the different instruments. And for a few minutes, for a few minutes, they start tuning up. They start tweaking the strings and doing the things they need to do to prepare. And you hear that and you think, what in the world have I paid the money for? And I think at this point I can hand back to the recording of the actual sermon. And they, they start kind of screeching and, and blowing the horn and letting, you know, the valve open. And they're doing all these different tweaks and changes. And it's like, goodness me, I paid money for this. It sounds horrific. It's, it's, it's really, really quite awkward to sit there and you oh, this better be good because I'm not enjoying this so far. And then the conductor comes to the front and stands up on that little box thing and has the music in front of him or her and takes the little baton and gets the orchestra together and conducts. And then you realize what you paid for. Then you hear, emerging from these 90, 100, 110 instruments, whatever it is, you hear the, the Wagner or the Beethoven or the Mozart or the, the film uh, you know, theme tunes, whatever it was you went to hear, Star Wars, and it's like, wow, this is amazing. And you hear the glory of the music. So I, I thought about that illustration this week, and I thought, I'm going to check this out before I say it in public. So I wrote to my friend who's an award-winning conductor, Right? And I wrote to him and I said, Hugh, is it okay for me to say that the Holy Spirit is like the conductor at a symphony orchestra? And I kind of explained what I was thinking. I said, is it, is it true that the conductor's goal is to bring everything, all the different sounds, the different instruments, the different notes, the different types of sound and the volume, to bring all of that together to lift up and glorify the piece of music? Is that, is that true? And he wrote back and he said, that's absolutely right. A good conductor draws all the attention to the music. He said, there are some bad conductors. And they'll do anything they can to make you look at them. And, you know, kind of draw the attention of the audience. But he said, a good conductor is lifting up the music so that everything works together to make something beautiful that's not possible with any one of those instruments. I think that's a good illustration of what we're talking about here. 
In the church, we've got different instruments. And you might say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm not a lead violin. I'm not a trumpet. I'm nothing impressive. I, I'm just a triangle. Or I'm, I'm, I'm just a, a, you know, a piccolo. There's not much substance to me, whatever your feeling may be. But the reality is that an orchestra needs all the instruments. And it needs all the instruments to do their part at just the right moment. And it may be that for 45 minutes, you're just waiting until the ding of the triangle hits the perfect moment. It doesn't matter in that sense which instrument you are. What matters is that you do what the spirit, the conductor, is bringing out. I think that's a dynamic illustration. Because it's not saying that years ago when you trusted Jesus, whenever that was, the Spirit did something in you and now he's uninvolved. No, the Spirit is right at the heart of everything that happens in the church. Developing and drawing out and and moving us and and helping us and all the different gifts and all the different varieties of, of, of what it is to be a local church. The Spirit's the one that's making Jesus obvious through the church, making Jesus visible through the way that Christians love one another. The Spirit's the one that's trying to make the church the most powerful picture of the beauty and the wonder of the love of God for a world that's watching basically to see us mess up watching to see the the hypocrisy and the the backstabbing and all the things that the world gets told that Christians are like. Let's be honest, we're, we're not consistently that great, are we? And we're not consistently that impressive. And to be honest, sometimes we really do mess it up, but somehow the Spirit is able to weave it together, to turn a group of, no offense, but not very impressive humans into something together that is powerful and beautiful. And so next week, when we come back, we're going to look at the rest of the chapter where it's going to address the issue of, oh, but I'm just a triangle. Or, I'm a lead violin and you're not important. Okay, so all those kind of human, I'm better than you, you're better than me stuff, that's going to come next week. But what I want us to do today is think, okay, so how do we figure out what our instrument is? It would be weird, wouldn't it, to spend our whole life trying to act like a violin when actually we're a timpani or trying to be a trombone when we're an oboe or whatever. So how do I know what I am? How do I know what my gift is? Well, the first thing is that you've got to see that this is a secondary issue to something far more significant. Am I in the body of Christ? Have I been brought to a place where the death of Jesus has so gripped me and the Spirit of God has so moved me that I've stopped relying on myself and I've entrusted everything to him? I've trusted him with my life, with my eternity. He means everything to me. If that's true, then we can talk about spiritual gifts. If that's not true, that's more important. And that's where we need to stay. Once you trust Jesus and you become part of the family then the gifting is there. The spirit is in action. It may not be clear yet. It may take years to figure out what has he made me to be? What's my unique contribution? And so it's not that I can give you a shortcut, but I do want to give us a sense of of what the gifts are and how we can find out what what God's doing in me and through me. So let's look at that list one more time. In in verses 8 to 10, He goes into this list and he starts with an utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, faith, and, and so on. If we drop down to verse 
27, he gives a slightly different list. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. If we went to Romans 12, we'd see another list that's similar but with some differences. Ephesians 4 has another list, similar but with differences. 1 Peter 4 adds another gift, and there's a couple of others that we could add from elsewhere as well. So actually, there's a huge list of spiritual gifts. So we'll put them up on the screen here. We don't have them all in the same couple of verses to look at in our Bible. So we'll put them up here. Uh, and, and there you go. That's um, 20, indeed. I was thinking there must be a double number. No, there's 20 of them there. And so we've got this list of gifts. And let me just make a couple of comments about the gifts before we get into uh, how do we figure out what our gift could be. Okay, first of all, when you see a word, some of these words are, are kind of weird Bible words, and some of them feel very familiar. I would encourage you and, and say this, to understand what is being described here, you have to go into the Bible and, and let the Bible define it. We can't just bring our own definitions and say, ah, that's what I think that gift is. Another thing that's true generally with this list is that, that there's a sense in which almost all of these should be true of all of us in some way. For, for example, um, encouraging, number 12 on the list. It doesn't matter whether you've got the gift of encouraging or not. You should be looking to encourage people gift of faith. We should all have faith. The gift of evangelism. If we love Jesus, we should be talking to others and witnessing for Jesus. Generosity, giving. Yeah, well, whether you're gifted in giving or not, it's good to contribute financially. Whether your your gift is uh, mercy or not, you should be merciful. Uh, Whether you have the gifts of healings or not, if somebody is, is not well, pray for them to be healed. Right? There's, there's a sense in which almost all of these should be true of all of us at some level. But this passage is not talking about that. It's talking about something extra, something beyond normal. And it's saying, look, you're wired and you're gifted in a specific way to be prompted and fruitful in, in a certain area. And once you figure out what that is, you can contribute in a way that you can't in the sort of general sense, you, you can do something that others cannot do. Now, let me mention a, another thing here. The apostle, just for example, number one. Apostle is defined biblically. There was Jesus, actually, who was an apostle because it means a sent one. In Hebrews, he's called an apostle. But then we tend to think of the 12 apostles. And the 12 apostles, the followers of Jesus, the, that 12 disciple group they had a unique authority. In fact, the qualification for an apostle is that they had to be with that group from the beginning. You had to witness the risen Christ with your own eyes, and you have to be doing miracles. And, and so immediately you kind of go, well, that's pretty hard to live up to, isn't it? You ignore the miracles part. Just being there 2,000 years ago is pretty tricky. I don't think any of us are quite that old. Right? So how do, you, how do you kind of deal with that? Well, one thing you can do is you can say, well, apostle means sent one. And you can kind of come down and say, well, small a apostle, not a capital A apostle, but just a small a apostle. That's like a missionary, somebody who's sent to pioneer, to plant churches, to start new things. 
Or you could say, well, let's go even smaller A. Let's reduce the font. And like a micro A apostle, all of us are sent into this world. We're apostles for Jesus. Yes, but you've lost what it's talking about. Do you see what I mean? Once you get down to that kind of, it's true of everyone kind of way, it's no longer at the level of gift and uniqueness. That particular one, I've encouraged people, don't use that word. It communicates an authority that you haven't got, no matter how significant you are. When you speak, it doesn't get into the Bible. You're not an apostle, so please, let's just drop that language. And actually, it's interesting that some of these are quite controversial. The the list on the left, sort of the yellow rather than the white, you you could say these are the more controversial uh, elements of the list for a variety of reasons. Let me just lay out for you the fact that there are a different approaches to the yellow list of gifts. Apostle, prophecy, wisdom, knowledge, discerning spirits, healings, miracles, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. That collection of gifts can be kind of understood in different ways. And I'm not going to tell you which way you should think, but I'm going to tell you which way people do think. Okay, so four different approaches. One approach is to say, look, We see those uh, gifts listed in the book of Acts. We see them in action. We see them listed in the epistles. They're in the Bible. We are the church. It's the same spirit. We should expect to see those gifts in action in a healthy church. Just a straightforward, I think, very logical approach. It's in the Bible. Why not? That's one position, right? At the other extreme, you have people that say, well, yeah, but looking at the Bible... It seems like there's some uniquenesses here. It talks in Ephesians about the apostles and prophets being the foundation upon which the church is built. It seems like a lot of these gifts have to do with revelation or the confirmation of that revelation. It seems like they had a particular function at a particular time that before the Bible was finished and completed and collected, it was really helpful to be able to get access to revelation from God and to have that confirmed. And so, for a variety of reasons, for example, in, in Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, when Paul is coming to the end and he's concerned for the church after the apostles are gone, what does he tell Timothy and Titus? Does he say, listen, guys, if the church is going to be healthy, you've got to make sure you keep these gifts front and center. Make sure the miracles stay really dominant in the life of the church. Actually, he doesn't say that. Instead, he he talks about the reading of Scripture, and he talks about teaching. He doesn't mention those. So so these people over in this position would say, we don't see a need for the gifts in that yellow list today. It's just they had a time and a season, and praise God for that. But today we have the Bible. The church is established. Different time. Two different positions on the yellow list of gifts. But there's two more. So you might start over on this side and say, yeah, it's in the Bible. I see it. I see the potential for that to consistently be true. However, I've seen the kind of the the divisions that can come. I've seen churches that have been kind of dragged into squabbles because of these gifts in some way or the misuse of them. And so just like there was a mess in Corinth, I kind of see that. And so I'm open to it, but I'm kind of cautious. And so for the sake of not having the difficulties, let's just be cautious about those gifts. That's a slightly different position. And then there's others that start over on this side and say, yeah, I can kind of see the logic 
of for a time and for a season before the maturity and establishment of the church. But, but I'm open to the fact that maybe God could and maybe God does give those gifts, maybe typically in pioneer situations. Maybe in places where the Bible hasn't been translated or the church hasn't been established. Maybe that's more likely a place to see some of that stuff going on. And so you see there's already four different positions. Yes, we should expect it. No, we shouldn't. Maybe, but not here. Maybe, but let's be careful. Those are technical labels for those four positions. And you know what? In this church, we've got all five positions represented. Why five? Because there's some people that would say, actually, I've not studied it. I don't know. And that's okay, too. It's better to be honest and not just jump into a camp. So there's people in this room that are like, I don't know. I've never thought about it. And there'll be people in this room who are in that position or that position or this one or this one. I think even on the leadership, we're probably in different positions. We haven't really talked about it a whole lot. But here's the thing. We're not asking anybody to change their position. This is actually a secondary issue. There's things that we agree on and things that are critically important. This one, you're you're free to hold whichever position you want. But the decision that we've taken as a church is the way we're going to move forward is that for the sake of unity, we're not going to emphasize or or make the, the yellow list kind of a feature of church life here. They don't have to agree. You could be big fans of that in terms of, yeah, that should be happening, but In order for us to function, we're just asking you to not make that an issue. Let's just be united, kind of in a under the umbrella of the other three positions, I suppose, but recognizing graciously that for some people that's a step to choose to be in a church that doesn't quite fit what they're used to. We appreciate the, the unity that we have on this. And so let's take those that yellow list, if you like, and just push it off to the side and say, okay, we're not going to emphasize those. Now, with the rest, there's still 11 left on the list. What, how do we discern what God may have put into us? I want to give you four really simple principles for this. Okay, the, the first one, and, and I, I, from, I know Mike loves an acronym, so I'm going to give you this in an acronym form, a really significant word at the end of it. Uh, the first one uh, is the word chat. Okay, so uh, we can go forward a couple of slides. Chat, that is honest conversations with each other. The gifts of the Spirit are for the community of God's people. And so this is not something for us to go off on our own and chase privately. This is a, a, a benefit of being in a church. We talk to each other. We encourage one another. Hey, when you do that, you just seem to come alive. When you do that, I'm really blessed. When you do that, I, it's such a, a help to me. And hey, I've watched you in kids club and that last 10 minutes there, I don't know what the difference was, but it's like you came alive and wow, it was, let's look for ways to chat together, to be involved in things and say, I don't know if that, I I don't know if that's me or not. What do you think? You know me. Have the conversation, honest conversation with each other is very significant. Secondly, the heart. Be aware of your own heart. That is, uh, your motivations and your irritations. What is it that that stirs you? What is it that gets you excited? What is it that you take notice of? If you ever visit another church or if you go to a Christian event, a conference or, or something, a festival, what is it that you find yourself paying particular attention to? Or what is it that kind of grates when it's not done right? It could be that that's an indication of the way God's gifted you. 
For me, for example, I can go to another church and I can be aware of things because we do stuff at Trinity and I'm always sort of looking, how, how's their welcome team? How are their refreshments? Do we know who their child protection officer is? And so I'm aware of the churchy stuff. But I don't have to choose to think about the preacher. When there's teaching going on, I'm evaluating. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. It's just automatic. Melanie will tell you, I can't help but evaluate when I'm listening. And, so, and if, it's, if it's not particularly clear or accurate or, or helpful or whatever, I, oh, it grates. I have to really be careful with my attitude. And I'm not saying that's, that's right. I'm just saying that could be an indication of gifting, that God's wired me for teaching, and so therefore I'm sensitive to it. And maybe you find that there's something that, that kind of particularly grates on you. Maybe that graciously, carefully, humbly handled could be an indication of the way God is planning to use you in a church setting. And so your motivations and your irritations uh, need to be part of that conversation without gossip and criticism and tearing down. Okay, number three, uh, active. Help build the church. Get involved. You can't steer a ship when it's birthed. You have to move it, right? It has to be moving before a ship can be redirected. It's very hard to go out there and, and turn a car around when it's still. I would imagine. I've never tried it, but it obviously is. If you want to redirect something, it's much better when it's moving. And so get plugged in. Get involved. Try things. Join in with Kids Club. Jump into helping with TC Tots. Help with refreshments. Help with greetings. Try to organize something. Just, just be active, and you'll soon find that people gently redirect you away from certain things and, and really affirm others. And the conversation and your own heart kind of reaction, all of that works together, but it, it doesn't work if you're sitting waiting for some kind of insight. Get involved and, uh, and try and try uh, trial and error. Just say, hey, can I do this for a season? I'm not sure if it's my thing. And, and here in, in the last four years, we've had people that have done things because, you know, when you start a church, you kind of need people to just jump in and do stuff, whether it's their thing or not. But we've been very quick. The moment someone says, you know what, this is draining me. I'm really struggling with this. We try never to twist the arm and force them to keep doing it. We say, okay, let's try and find something else where maybe it's a better fit. We want to be a church where we're not just busy, but we're contributing in a way that really builds up the church. And then lastly, number four, pray. Okay, we want to be praying. We want to be uh, humbly talking to God and saying, Lord... I'm in conversation with others. I'm aware of my heart. You know my heart better. I'm actively involved. I, I'd love to know what you want me to be doing. And I say humbly because it's not, I, I really want that gift. Just accept that he knows what he's doing and ask him to help you to understand it. And if you can't remember that list, just remember some chap at church explained it, okay? And then maybe it will come back to you. I'm just kidding. C-H-A-P, largely irrelevant. Order doesn't matter. But I think those are important principles. This week at Life Group, we'll have a handout that includes that as a reminder, and we'll talk through some of that and some definitions of, of the different gifts and, and try to get some conversation going about, I think I might be gifted in this area. What do you think? And hey, I, I noticed this in you. Could this be what God's doing in you? And, and we'll try to stir some of that conversation. If you're not in Life Group, we'll have the handouts next week so that you can go through that list and you can start thinking, is this me? Is this what God's made me to be? But just to finish, I want to give us one illustration that may be helpful. It's not profound, but it may be profoundly helpful. And it's this. 
Spiritual gifting, I think, is a relational thing. It's at the level of our impulses, our kind of responses to things. And so I want you to imagine, just for a moment, that you're in somebody's house. Maybe it's a life group. Maybe it's a, an open house. Maybe it's, you know, you're a guest, whatever. You're in somebody's house, and they bring out a cake because cakes are good, right? Cakes are, are really good for us. There's a cake. You can't really see, but it's got strawberries and blueberries and white cream, so I'm guessing it's an American celebration of something. They like to do the whole flag color thing. Uh, but maybe it's a royal wedding celebration cake. We have the same colors in our flag. We could do the same thing. So let's imagine there's a kind of special celebrating the royal wedding occasion or whatever, and somebody's bringing the cake into the room. And the unconscionable happens. It goes onto the carpet. We could go to the next slide. There we go. The oops occurs and it's splat on the floor. Now, before you have time to think about the right response, there's probably a response if you're sat there. Right? If you're in that room, there's a response. What is that response? Let's go to the next one, Tim. Maybe your first response is something like this. Hey, don't feel bad. It could have happened to anyone. What's that? Maybe that's an indication of a, a, a wiring or an impulse or, or something within us. Let's reveal what, what I'm thinking. Mercy. Maybe that's a gift of mercy in action. Oh, you poor thing. It's okay. Now, should we all show mercy to the cake dropper? Of course we should. But I tell you, while you're still thinking about what's the right response, somebody with the gift of mercy will already be feeling sorry for them and caring for them, and and reaching out to take away the embarrassment of destroying the most beautiful cake they've ever made. Okay, so, so that's one. Let's go for another one. What if your response is this? Oh, let me help you clean it up. Any ideas what that could be? It's the serving, the helps. It, it's There's a need, and, and, and you know, I, I think, give me enough time, I think I'd get to that conclusion. But by the time I get to that conclusion, there'd be somebody down on their hands and knees rescuing the cake and the carpet, right? Because for some people, it's an impulse. For others, it's a learned behavior. What about this? Next one. The reason that fell is because your foot got caught on the carpet. Where's the gift of explanation coming from? It's teaching, right? Now, this is one that probably it's better to keep quiet. This is my first impulse every time. When something happens... I, I'm, I've analyzed and I've figured it out. And I, yeah, the reason is, you know, not helpful. If I say that, let gentle kick. Melanie's good at communicating with me. I, sorry, I shouldn't have said anything. But it's an impulse. Now, if they consistently trash a cake every single life group, maybe there's a time and a place for the teaching gift to come in and transform, you know, our cake retention uh, statistics. But, but that's not a great gift for that moment, is it? Not very kind or careful or helpful. Let's do another one. What about next time? Hey, we'll cut it up in the kitchen. That'll work perfectly. Maybe this is after the second cake has been destroyed. What gift is this? We haven't defined them yet, so I'm, I'm not expecting you to, to get it. But I think that's kind of in... Go on, me, I'm sort of, but I'm going to go encouragement on this one. This is the encouraging or exhorting. It's like, okay, let's do something that's going to change the future. Not, not an impulse to deal with the present. It's like, let's, let's encourage so there's a better outcome next time. Let's go to the next one. I'll be happy to buy a replacement. I know somebody with that gift. It's, it's an instinct. Again, 
given time, we could all get to the conclusion that actually, you know what, Morrison's is just down the road. And if we do a whip round, we can save the blushes and we can buy a cake. But the person with the gift of, what do you think? Generosity giving. The person with that gift has the instinct, the impulse relationally to give to a tangible need that for others of us, it takes a while to get to. Let's do another one. Hey, John, could you get the mop? Sarah, is there anything else in the fridge? Hey, Amy, could you help me with this? That's kind of administration or leadership, isn't it? It's pulling people together and achieving an immediate goal. This is the kind of person that, that does it instinctively Rather than everyone sits for you know, half an hour and eventually someone says, I have a thought. Usually in a group, somebody will lean, hey, let's do this. Let's solve this problem. Let's go for another one. Maybe God didn't want us to eat that dessert. If he does, he'll supply something better before we're finished here. Woo! That's faith. All right? That's not just normal faith. That's like super faith. That's like God delivers cakes faith. You know, and someone like that adds something to a group. They give a sense of trust in God that the rest of us, we trust him for eternity and for salvation and for everything, but not so much for cakes, you know. And so that's a gift in action that is a blessing to the church. There's another one. Hey, it's okay. Tell me, how have you been doing lately? I think that's, it could be a variety of them, but it's kind of the shepherding, pastoring. This is a person. You know, this isn't just a cake carrier. This is a human. And the fact that they've dropped this cake might just be the last straw that's going to break the camel's back. And I'm going to take the opportunity just to check in and and see if I can encourage them and move them forward. Aren't you thankful for people like that? I'm glad that we've got some people like that in the church. I'm glad to be on the receiving end. I'm glad to see it happening. We need different gifts. That's another one, I think. Hey, isn't that just like our lives before Christ? But praise God that he provided a way to clean up the sin of our lives. Who takes every opportunity and turns it into a gospel presentation? That's the evangelist. And I'm like, yeah, I could get there if I thought about it. But that's not my gift. I don't just spot, you know, whoa, here's the gospel. But I'm thankful for people that do. That's just one way the gift of evangelism might show itself. Is that the end of the list, Tim? So we've got a whole variety there. We didn't include hospitality. Because that's probably the person that made the cake in the first place and has made you want to be there. You see, there's a whole variety of gifts and we're so blessed as the Spirit conducts each different instrument to play its part in the symphony. And so what what I would encourage you to do is to, to chat to one another to carefully evaluate your own motivations and, and irritations Get active in the life of the church and most importantly, pray about it and ask God to help you to know how he's prepared you to contribute to the life of this community because it's such a privilege to be part of something where the the people gifted for shepherding are shepherding and the people gifted for mercy are mercying and the people gifted for teaching are teaching and the people gifted for giving are giving and so on. And we're so blessed, not just by God, but from God through each other. We're so blessed, aren't we? It's a privilege to be part of a church, not because it's necessarily better than anything else that can be found out there, but because it's unique. There's no other environment where the Holy Spirit is the conductor. There's no other environment where every participant has something valuable to contribute. And so we want to ask God to help us to grow in that.